The Lord said, When the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory, and before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats, and he shall shed the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on his left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was a hungry, and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. Naked, and ye clothed me. I was sick, and ye visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee a hungered or fed thee, or thirsty and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger and took thee in, or naked and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick in prison and came to thee? And the Lord shall say and answer unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, ye have done it unto me. Then shall he say unto them on his left hand, Depart from me, cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was a hunger, and you gave me no meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you took me not in. Naked, and ye clothed me not. Sick and in prison, and ye visited me not. Then shall they also answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee a hunger or a thirst? or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister unto thee. Then shall he answer unto them, saying, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye did it not to one of the least of these, you did it not unto me, and these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. The Lord said to the Jews that came to him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he that entereth into the door is the shepherd of the sheep. I am the door, but by me if any man enter in, he shall be saved, and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief cometh not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I am come that they might have life, and they might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd, the good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he that is a hireling and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming, and leaveth the sheep, and fleeth. The wolf catcheth them, and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth, because he is a hireling, and careth not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and know my sheep, and am known of mine. As the Father knoweth me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Glory to you, Lord, glory to thee. Today we celebrate the Sunday, the last judgment. Next Sunday, we begin our Lenten journey. And so it's very appropriate that the Lord has given us, I guess, the best piece of guidance that he could possibly be given to man or to woman living on this earth today and alive and breathing. This is the warning of the gospel that we read today. 
It's the great finale that he speaks of, of all of human history, the end of things that we can see, the end of all that we know. And we journey into a new life and a new world at this time when the Lord comes at this moment. No one imagined this story, this tale, this future event that's going to occur, but the Lord himself, rather, gave us this truth. He revealed this truth, this future, to us, that we might be having it for our admonition, for our instruction, for our contemplation, and I think most importantly, perhaps, for our correction. It's a sobering future event that is to occur. It's an inescapable reality what he speaks about here. And we do well to carefully consider this and give it our best attention, our heart attention, our brain attention, and our works attention. And so it is that we enter this gospel and look at it for ourselves today, hopefully to our benefit. The Lord talks often says in this gospel, when the Son of Man shall come in his glory. When is this day? This day is the end of time, as we know it. This world and all that's in it will be gone. It will leave forever, be gone. Something new will occur. This is the when, this is the future. This is the future for every single person, whether they're alive at that time or whether they pass from this world. What precedes it is the particular judgment. What the Lord speaks about in this passage is the final, the great, the last judgment. But preceding that is a particular judgment for you and for I, and for the person sitting next to you, and for the person across the street from you, and for the person that works with you, that particular judgment that comes to each and every person at the moment of this death. It's the judgment that's spoken of in other places where the Lord speaks about the angels coming in this parable and taking someone away, their time has come. And Abraham was gone and went to the bosom of the Father. The other one went to the place of fire and torment. That particular judgment awaits all of us if we're not alive at the time of this great judgment. This particular judgment is one that should be feared. It should be lived for. It should be lived in light of. And we should actually pay great attention to the fact that we will die most likely before this great final judgment. But the judgment which the Lord speaks about today, this final judgment, is a time of the great resurrection of the dead, when every body will be resumed and somehow with and reunited with the soul of every single person that's ever lived. And the Lord says, when this happens, he will be there in all his glory. Imagine this great event. All the holy angels, multitudes upon multitudes, billions upon billions of angels of all ranks will be there present. And before him also will be gathered all the nations, every single person that's ever lived, billions of people. Imagine this throng, this assembly, and over all, overarching all this is the Lord in his glory. This is an event which awaits all of us. It's almost unimaginable to think on these things. But the Lord lays it out from his own lips. This is no lie. This is no fabrication. This is no fable. This is something which will occur. Imagine this event. All the nations, all the angels, and over all God in his glory. He's gathered them together for a purpose. This purpose is to separate them. The separation that occurs will, I think, be perhaps even more painful than the separation that occurs when our soul is separated from this body at our own particular judgment and death. 
for this is the final time. This is when everything is present as witness to our end, whatever that might be. This is the separation. This is the work of this great day, this day at the end of time that goes on forever, which has no time. This is the beginning. This is what the Lord does at this time. He separates into two camps. Not three camps, not 500 camps, not 10 million, not a billion, not everybody in his own camp, but into two camps. Now granted, as we know, that to whom much is given, much is required, and some will be beaten with many stripes, and some with few, and some will have great crowns, and some will have few. So within these two camps, there are gradations, right? And we can see this when we see the icon of the last judgment, some, as we, we see in the book of Revelation, gathered close to the throne and some farther away, but all are either in one camp or the other. And so the Lord gives us this warning that we might learn from it, that we might consider what camp are we in? What camp are we headed to? The first camp is the group of the blessed. Notice when the Lord gives the list of things that require action on the part of the blessed. It's all things, it's not thoughts, it's actions. It's things that we did in our life. And I think that's interesting to look upon the totality of which the Lord looks at our ministry, our life, our stewardship of this body and the soul that he's given us in this time that's now. It's a complete stewardship. It deals with everything. It gives, deals with giving drink, giving people visits when they're sick, naked, clothing, everything that somebody could need. God's requiring us to act upon. He doesn't limit our service to others our service or our love to others and to him. There's no limits. It's almost as if he says, everything that is needed out there, you're to provide. You're to be engaged in making things better for other people. This is the group of the blessed. This is what they did. This is their deeds. These are opportunities that they took to make good of this life, to love above all, to serve, to obey, and to deny themselves of something and to give instead. This is the group of the blessed. This is what characterizes us so often, I think not. We look at our ministry as so confined, I know I do. You tend, tend to get down and think of yourselves like, well, I do this, I've got this gift, so I, I'm going to give a lot of money to people, or I'm going to pray a lot. But the Lord looks at things differently. He says, all these things, if I see someone that's naked and I don't give to them, I don't give them a drink, I don't visit them, I don't pray for them, I don't care for them, I do my own thing, or I specialize in what I'm good at, he's not going to be too happy with you when you meet him. He's calling you to have a sensitive heart, to love in a way that's unlimited and unrestricted, so that any event that comes in front of you, you have the sensitivity and the compassion and the love that God has. This is what God calls the group of the blessed to do. We want to be in that group, I'm sure. Well, might we begin to think about the fact that the Lord's given us a warning here. He's, he's guiding our life. He's saying, you need, Christian, today, sit in this pew to hear this and realize that I want you to do these same things. I don't just say this to commend those that have gone before. I say this to you to sit here today and listen to my voice. Do what I want done. Do it. Do it now. Do it today. Do it tomorrow. Do it until your particular judgment. And you'll be in the blessed at the end of the 
final judgment. But there is another group. This is the group of the ones that he calls himself the cursed. These are the ones that saw all these opportunities. Perhaps they didn't really even see them. They were so hardened. Perhaps we're like that. We're so hardened. We're so oblivious to things because we're so wrapped up in our own distractions, our own pity, pitiful distractions, I would say. Our own petty entertainments, our own desires, our own will, that we can't see everything. That's even a sadder state, isn't it? But I think the Lord shows us here that we do know. We do know when we're turning our back at times, we say, maybe not all the time. And he says, how sad it is. You're cursing, again, based on your actions. Did you show your love? Love isn't just saying, I love you. Love is being loyal, being faithful, being giving, being charitable, being compassionate, sharing, all the things that are spoken about in 1 Corinthians 13. Love is so much. It's not just in your head, between your ears. It's in your hands, it's in your eyes, it's in your feet, it's in all these things. And God says that ones that are cursed did not exhibit the actions that would back up what would be hopefully a good material. So sad. He says to these that have acted, you did things with an evil intent, perhaps. Maybe you did things in rebellion against me. How sad. Maybe you just missed opportunities because of your selfishness, your blindness, your hardness of heart, your lack of love. How sad. He says to these, these sad words, depart from me. When we think of hell, we think of burning flames, we think of so many things, through various traditions, perhaps, and heard different things about hell. But I think the first thing that the Lord says is really the best indication of how terrible the end is for those that can't be cursed. He says, depart from me. If you've ever coveted love, imagine what it will be like to be denied in its most complete fashion at that moment because of some lame action and lame excuses that you had in this life. He says, depart from me into something which is fire. That's the analogy that the Lord uses. The church teaches that there's really no way to understand perhaps greatly and completely what hell is like, what damnation is like, what tortures it has. But I think we get a glimmer in what the Lord says when he says, depart from me. Imagine what it would be like to be cut off from that which you love. That's what I think the greatest beginning of the judgment is for us. That's the foretaste in that instant when God says depart of what eternity will be like for us because we were selfish now. We didn't love now. The thing about this judgment that the Lord leaves us with is key to our motivation, I guess you could say. He says that these are going to go away into everlasting punishment, he says. And the righteous unto life eternal. Both destinations are forever. And that's hard to imagine in a place where there is no time. There's no world that we know it. What it means is that it doesn't have an end. It goes. There's something about this life and its relation to the next that the Lord's teaching us here that's very important. What we do here matters to him. It matters to us. It stamps our soul somehow. 
so that there is no way to reconcile. There is no hope to get back the time that we lost. There is no way to make it right there at the last judgment. Might God allow us right now to understand we need some adjustment in our life. But we're, we're blessed because we're entering upon a period and starting right today with this message. God's telling you there's still time. There's still hope now. There's still a place for you to repent. There's still time for us to make it right. There's still time to love. There's still time to serve. There's still time to minister to those around us as God's hands, God's mouth, God's feet on this earth while we're alive. We're entering upon this great life. And our goal should be to prepare to meet him for his resurrection, in his resurrection, and looking towards our resurrection at the end of time when we will be before him in a resurrected body and a soul in front of him at this great day of judgment. As we go into Lent, we sing the great verse that let us begin the fast with joy. I always start singing that. I, I start off with joy. About a week and a half later, I'm not so joyful anymore. Because Lent is hard. It is hard. And we'll fail. And we'll pick ourselves up again. And we'll move forward to meet the resurrected Lord with this day in mind. Lent is our opportunity. It's our great opportunity. We have opportunity all the time. But right now, God specifically pointing us to the reality of that we're going to have a particular, and we're going to have a last judgment. You and I, everyone sitting in this room will have it. And so he's saying, now is your chance. Now is your opportunity. Lent is your great opportunity, my brothers and sisters, to make it right, to fix your place more firmly in one of these hands. May God have us thoughtful, mindful about our actions and our inactions. May God open our eyes to what's around us, and to him, might we sense his presence, might we understand he wants us to be saved, and might we use well, use well our opportunities before us in this great land to deny ourselves and to serve him and others in his name. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.